1935, quantum pioneer Erwin Schrödinger theorized that an ordinary cat placed inside a sealed box with a single radioactive atom can be both alive and dead at the same time. So long as no one was actually looking at him. <laughs> the thing is, Schrödinger, he doesn't know the half of what goes on in there. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Laps Gamer Podcast, the show that will never give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around <laughs> and desert you. I am your host, Stuart Neal, and joining me on the recording tonight is our regular team member, Ali. Hello. And our very special guest tonight is Kevin Bamers um, from Metallic Pig. Good evening, Kevin. How's it going, Stuart? Hi, Ali. Not too bad at Hi. all. How's things with you, Kevin? Uh, yeah, doing all right. Uh, you know, long weekend uh, still means a weekend packed with work, but that's uh, that's indie life, right? <laughs> yes. So, um, a little bit of background then about yourself, Kevin. Um, just sort of um, pulled from your internet page and what have you. Basically, you're the director at Italic Pig, and Italic Pig themselves specialize in character-driven adventures of the sarcastically epic variety. Um, your debut game, Schrodinger's Cat and the Raiders of the Lost Quark, is a quantum physics um, action-adventure game for the Xbox One, PS4, and Steam um, that has also been nominated for several writing awards and industry awards and was published by Team17, wasn't it? Yes, all that information is correct. Do you, <laughs> do you need me to elaborate? <laughs> you've, you've covered it well, pretty well. Well, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about Italic Pig and um, what you do. All right. Well, I, I mean, Italic Pig started off uh, to make Schrodinger's Cat and the Raiders of the Lost Quark. Uh, it was, uh, it was. Uh, I was working for an animation company, and uh, we had cooked up this idea of uh, what if, what if we turn quantum physics uh, into something a little more mainstream. I, I think part of the concept for that game came from um, wanting to take. All the stuff that I think is cerebrally cool about quantum physics, but is always so poorly presented because it's drawn by by scientists. Uh, yeah. So, uh, wanted to turn it into something that's a little more action hero, a little bit more I don't know MacGyver meets uh, Back to the Future meets <laughs> this meets that. Yeah, that, all the influences that that make uh, adventure exciting. And so we, mm-hmm. um, uh, so yeah, came up with this the Schrodinger's cat, the action hero, and wanted him solving physics crimes and things like that, and then put that together into uh, first of all, it was a, a possible TV series. But then it morphed into a video game, and uh, that pitch was sort of floating around um, the the outskirts of the <clears throat> the funding scene, I suppose. And somebody got their hands on it and said, "This sounds really great. Uh, do you want to make this game?" And at the time, it was sort of like, "Well, yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, you know, let's move forward." And so that's how Schrodinger's Cat kicked off under the name of Italic Pig. Um, huh. And so moving on from there, once that was finished, it was like, well, now what? And it's uh, there's always more ideas up the pipe. So um, keeping it going with uh, doing a lot of narrative work. And now I'm making this game Mona Lisa, which is, uh, yeah, our, our current development, which is already uh, raising a lot of eyebrows uh, when it comes <clears throat> to um, just gameplay, mechanics, uh, new developments. Uh, good things are happening. Yeah. Um- just on the Mona Lisa, you at the start of the year there, you had been pitching it at the very big indie pitch in London, um, where you sort of saw off thirty six other indie game companies 
um, which were participating in it and basically won it um, through a unanimous judge's, judge's decision as well. Tell us a little bit more about the the actual very big indie pitch um, itself um, for developers and things. Yeah, listen, if you're if you're a developer and you're at one of these pocket gamer events, uh, the the big indie pitches. Uh, are always worth the experience, no matter what stage of the game you're at. Um, mm. I've I've done I did one with Schrodinger's cat uh, about three years ago or something like that. But what it is, it's basically speed dating in three minutes or less. Um, you you <laughs> arrive on the day you you have to have signed up beforehand, and the the event itself is like six tables each of which has two or three or four industry experts at it. And these industry mm-hmm. experts could be journalists. They might be like some of them are pocket gamer staff. Some of them are uh, from Unity, from Unreal, from Amazon, from Google. So it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's uh, journalists and, and experts and people who know their stuff. And some are publishers as well. Some might may turn into a, a, a deal if you've got a good enough thing. So anyway, uh, they ring a bell and you've got three minutes to show off your game. And then they ring another bell and you go to the next table and you got three more minutes to show off your game. So basically what it does is it forces you to really hone that elevator pitch, the the three minutes or less trying to grab people's attention uh, and then and then move on. And you got another chance and another chance, another chance. So so 25 minutes, 30 minutes later, you've done it six times and you're out of breath and you need uh, a a lozenge (laughs) Um, and you've figured out what gags grab people's attention in the time that you've got and it's actually a really valuable experience um mm-hmm. so yeah anyway you this is this is it it, it goes on over the course of uh, an afternoon and then by that evening all the judges kind of wrap everything up pick their top five favorites and then you get to show it off at the event the next day at a booth oh, okay and at the end of the whole event uh the judges have chosen their their top winner and so you come out of there with uh <laughs> i came out of there with a um some steel media bucks uh, that's a pocket gamer uh, has a bunch of services, so we can um, uh, you know, trade those in for uh, advice and and advertising yeah. that sort of thing. But also, I got a baseball bat out of it, and uh, <laughs> that was it was it, oh, isn't this neat? At the time, and the second I had it in my hands, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get this on the plane home. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of those the pictures that you was on about, is that just you literally just stood there talking? baffling them with as much information as possible or do you have like cards to show them of possible artwork or how does yeah. that actually work? Whatever, whatever you think is going to sell your game the best. Uh, when I did right. Schrodinger's Cat, there was a lot of info to go through and I didn't have a demo. Um, mm-hmm. They say don't, they say these days you really need to be in like alpha or beta stage and en- enough gameplay to show off how it works. Otherwise they can't really grasp the concept if all you're doing is talking about it. Um, what's nice about Mona Lisa is that the core game loop is two minutes. Um, so you're, you're painting masterpieces in two minutes or less. And it's sort of like, uh, if I can get into what Mona Lisa is, it's kind of like guitar hero for Renaissance art. So, so it gives the player the illusion of talent. Um, without needing any actual talent to go with it. So you're, you're following a series of swipes, and by the time this catchy music finishes, comes to a close in about uh, two minutes, you'll have painted uh, the Mona Lisa or the birth of Venus or uh, you know a picture of um, Botticelli's uh, self-portrait or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, all parody pieces, of course. So for us to sit down, you know, they ring the bell. I asked at the table, which one of you does art? And there's always one who does not. 
And I said, you're the guy who doesn't do art. You're going to paint for me while I talk to these other two people. And in two minutes, by the end of it, they, of course, will have painted uh, a beautiful copy of the Mona Lisa. Eh, still a bit of a mess, but uh, enough for them to feel good about themselves. And everybody else kind of wowed that the non-art guy is able to put one together. So so that was my pitch. It was give the game to one guy and talk about it to the other two. So it was good to get all that, uh, easy to get all the information across. Um, but really, uh, as you go in, you really just pick whatever method is going to sell it best. I've seen people go in and just hand the game over and say nothing or just answer questions. That's ballsy. (laughs) That's very ballsy. Um, but, uh, and some people go in and talk about it or they play it themselves or they do a gameplay video because they know exactly what's going to happen and they can time their, their talk to it. Uh, yeah, but it's, like I said, it's an incredibly valuable experience whether or not you expect to win or lose. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, so the game then, Mona Lisa, um, what stage of development is it at? Uh, we are crawling towards soft launch at the moment. Uh, and I think I've been saying that for a very long time. But, <laughs> but the game was, uh, we knew what the, what the core of the game was going to be uh, like a year ago. Uh, we, when we first were funded uh, to make this game, we wanted to make something that, that turned art into something arcade-like, something something that had the simplicity uh, and the and the good feelings of something like Guitar Hero, um, or even a better example nowadays would be Piano Tiles. Um, <laughs> I mean, everybody's got that game. It's just tapping four squares, but it feels like piano because it's your fingers. So we were looking to make this painting game. Actually, it was a combination painting and stealth stealth platforming. And when we talked about it, when we talked about it, people would say, oh, forget about turning paint into a game. No, everybody's tried it and it's, it's never worked out. So that made us want to prove the, the concept that we'd come up with. So mm-hmm. we, we came up with the, the painting mechanic very, fairly quickly. And uh, then came the, well, what's the metagame that goes around it? And we, we tried some stealth platforming in, in different ways and stuff that was, that made it perfect. Like, uh, we were aiming for like a, a perfect platformer for, um, for mobiles and tablets, which, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of endless runners, but not a lot of, um, self-guided predictive pathfinding type stuff that out there. And that's what we were trying to do without virtual D-pads. Anyway, we had to, uh, ultimately had to shelve uh, the platforming. It may rear its head in a different game one day down the road. So all that information, all of that um, gameplay has finally uh, presented itself in a playable standalone build at this point where it's um, sort of akin to, uh, like a, think of a map like CSR Racing uh, mm-hmm. where there's a bunch of missions that sort of pop up as you go. Uh, there's yeah. a sort of a, a mission style um a uh, map is a little bit like um, zombie catchers as well. I don't know uh, if you know that one, um, but it's uh, sort of there's these people out on the streets looking for more work, uh, more art for you to heist. And when you find the heists, then uh, it's up to you to go in, steal them and get out before anybody knows it's gone. Oh, OK, very cool. Whenever you're talking about funding um, for the game, but I'm guessing that involved another lot of pitches and trying to get investment and things for that. Well, the um, the main two funders of uh, Mona Lisa at this moment are um, the Creative Europe Media uh, sub program. It's a <laughs> uh, it's a European Union uh, fund. I think it comes out of Belgium. That is. Uh, specifically for games with a narrative edge to them. They had to have <laughs> characters. They had to have a story arc. Um, 
it had to be a game with a story behind it. So so they didn't want match threes. They didn't want puzzlers. They didn't want uh, endless runners, that kind of a thing. Um, so it, it was very, um, very much a targeted fund. And what made it nice was having released Schrodinger's Cat, I had a part of one of the eligibility requirements is having a narrative led game uh, as a track record of your studio. So mm-hmm. Schrodinger's Cat was a perfect fit for the track record. Mona Lisa was a perfect fit for a European based uh, narrative game since it all takes place in Renaissance Italy and mm-hmm. uh, well, Renaissance Europe and uh, and encompasses, uh, you know, some of the most famous uh, works of art of the time. So it hit all the right cultural buttons. Um, and then that fund once approved by uh, Creative Europe was matched by NI Screen, which uh, they're the, the Digital Film and TV Commission here in Northern Ireland. And I'll tell you, they're, um, they're a godsend because uh, if, you, if you do your production and development in Northern Ireland and it has to do with a screen, Northern, Ire- Northern Ireland screen uh, will uh, hopefully – Get involved uh, in order to take what funding you got from source one and uh, as much as double it with source number two. Um, okay. It's so it's been uh, great working with them. Uh, they're they're um, they've been enjoying the updates all the way along, and they're they're keen to help out uh, build the Northern Ireland uh, games industry as much as possible. Yeah, we were speaking to Chris Kelly from Enter Yes um, last week's or and we were asking him about funding, and he said without investment and funding coming from groups and things like that an awful lot of games development just wouldn't happen particularly in sort of smaller um sort of countries and things you know particularly like northern ireland um he was saying that screen ni um or have just been a massive massive um sort of partner with them um on quite a few projects and things um not just putting in money but also just giving them an awful lot of guidance and advice on different things you know even pointing them in direction of um different exhibitions or different things to go and do and see and you know so the sort of people to talk to and things like that yeah absolutely they they uh i mean they fund trade missions uh where they help a bunch like a whole northern ireland uh delegate party all uh, descend upon certain events uh, there's, uh, they, they bring in guest speakers, they bring in, uh, special, um, uh, what's a consultants, I suppose would be the best way. All of their projects, uh, they can feed into, you know, we're bringing this guy in from, uh, this industry veteran and he's going to look at everybody's games one-on-one, um, and provide any kind of guidance he can to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, so yeah, all, all that is a really supportive industry. And I mean, not to mention the, uh, the devs themselves. Um, one great thing I think about uh, the Northern Irish industry is they're very supportive and they're very collaborative. Um, everybody shares talent and everybody shares advice, and uh, there's no, there's nothing cutthroat going on. There's no there's no real competition because the number of games being released per year aren't enough to conflict with one another. So as a yeah. result. When one person releases something, all of Northern Ireland gets behind it. Uh, mm. So it's a, it's a great – it's like being part of a – well, it is being part of a cluster. Um, we – everybody loves what everybody else is doing. You know, you can get us all together in a medium-sized pub. Uh, and uh, yeah, good things are happening. Um, you know, lots of industry support. Just on uh, whenever you're talking about sort of the collaborative support, I know some of the games that you've worked on um, in sort of in between your own projects and things, um, things like Hector, Badge of Courage, and even working with Outsider Games on Wailing Heights. Um, again, those are all um, developed within Northern Ireland as well. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hector, uh, it's a badge of carnage, by the way, not courage. Oh, carnage, my apologies. <laughs> there's, there's no courage involved in that at all, except for the, uh, <laughs> the language, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> um, Hector was the first game that I would say uh, I cut my teeth on, and that was with the, the animation company I was working with, uh, Schrodinger's Cat, originally. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Hector was a, a point-and-click adventure that uh, sort of, um, it, was, it came out in the early days of the iPhone, when um, the iPhone still had fairly limited processing power. It wasn't like all 3D crazy games coming out on it. It was all, um, basically, it felt like a throwback to the old days of VGA. And Mm -hmm. so games like Special Edition Monkey Island and Special Edition Broken Sword, um, those had come out on the iPad. And everyone who owned them when they were 10 were now 30. And they went, oh, I remember these. I love these. And so Hector was the first sort of new point and click that had some real heft and wit behind it. Uh, mm. And it, it was picked up by Telltale Games uh, and then promoted onto, onto Steam and sold through their own means. Uh, uh, they, they funded um, the production of episodes two and three. Uh, mm. So, yeah, the Hector was, was all, um, you know, concocted here in Northern Ireland originally. And, and most of the production was done here as well. Then... Uh, other games, I mean, you know, getting, like I said, we all share talent. And so if somebody's got a script that they're working on, it usually comes my way and I have a quick look. Uh, sometimes I'm hired for the jobs uh, to to sort of do character development or snappy dialogue or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wailing Heights was a really exciting one because it was, uh, they wanted to make a game that they were willing to write original songs for. Mm-hmm. And so music became a real um, uh, feather in its cap. Uh, the, the game, whether, I, I don't know if you know it, but, uh, Wailing Heights was, um, it's about dead British rock stars. It's, it's basically about, uh, a band called the Deadbeats, who are more or less Beatles meet monkeys meet the Adams family. Mm. And, uh, as, uh, so each, uh, over time, each of them dies a rock star's death. And the band breaks up and the band splits off and, and you know, one goes into seclusion and one goes off and becomes a, a parody of himself. Anyway, on the day that the final surviving deadbeat dies, uh, you get a call from essentially the afterlife to go and get the band back together. Uh, mm-hmm. It's and, and all the way through it, you're you're cooking up. You're finding um, evidence of, of old songs. You're stealing lyrics from other people. But there's like 14 original songs in there and all done by by local folk artists and, and bands and things like that. So it, it was such an undertaking to put that together. And it really was the spirit of indie. Uh, it's been mm. an exciting project to be on. Yeah, the um, sort of the background I'm going to have you with that um, is it feels as if it's set in sort of the classic Universal Monsters universe to a degree as well, which I think sort of adds an awful lot of um, a little bit of weight to it and what have you for people who um, still enjoy those horror films as well. Yeah, it's it's very very nineteen sixties. Um, yeah. It's the the sixties comic book style. You know, even the comics have a little flair of um, uh, how do you put it? Like like the cartoons, like comic strips that that look like real people. The old uh, soap opera type comics. Yeah. Um, there's the uh, I mean. It, Top Talent was working on it as well. I mean, Stephen Downey's a longtime comic book uh, guy, uh, John McFarlane as well. Um, but they brought in folks like uh, PJ Holden and, uh, you know, guys who worked on, let me think, um, 
I don't know. I, I, there's, there's a whole list on the website and I, I, I've drawn a blank at the moment, but, (laughs) but uh, all good stuff. Um, and so with that, uh, of course, yes, adding to it, the fact that it's mummies and werewolves and, and, uh, vampires really sets the tone for, like I said, the, the 1960s classic manufactured monsters, uh, Mm -hmm. and and the legends that go behind them. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a definitely a piece worth checking out. What about your involvement then on The Bunker, um, which was by Splendid Games? Mm-hmm. Oh, The Bunker was an interesting one because it's probably the most, um, probably the, uh, an exercise in how bleak we could make a story. <laughs> 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 um, and the the original uh, concept, the, like the logline um, was so fascinating that I, I, I really had to get involved. The story is that on the day that the bombs fell, you are the main character uh mother is pushed into uh the oh, i'm totally screwing up this pitch hold on starting over <laughs> <laughs> you uh you play as a character who has grown up his entire life uh, inside of a nuclear bunker so yes the bombs did fall your mom was pushed in nine months pregnant and as they sealed the doors the baby is born it jumps to 30 years in the future when there's only uh, two people left surviving in this bunker. And it's a, it's a big government bunker. It used to be bustling with people, and now only you and your mom are still alive. And on the day your mom dies is the day the game begins. And so it's basically a guy starting off trying to keep to the routine and uh, and do all the things that, that – keep this bunker moving and, and, um, and never deviate from the plan and, and knowing how much food there is left and, and, you know, going through all these processes. But as things start to go wrong and as he starts to lose his mind, uh, the game just gets scarier and scarier and these flashbacks come back and he's battling inner demons and he's battling outer demons. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real sort of, um, journey through the mind. Uh, and, and the what's really unique about the game is the entire thing's done as an interactive movie. Uh, the whole mm-hmm. thing was filmed with real people, uh, spliced together movie files. It stars Adam Brown from the Hobbit trilogy and uh, Sarah Green, who was in Penny Dreadful. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's so a really good cast. They do amazing. Like Graham Fox was in there. Um, Jerome Blake. These all these guys were. Um, uh, it's it's so well acted. In fact, that they were able to take the footage of it splice it together into a half hour short film, which is now being shown at the Cannes Film Festival. I think this week. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Very impressive. I think um, Adam on the show has previously mentioned um, that he played it and what have you and thought it was just fantastic. And at the minute, it's surprising that with the advances in video quality and things like that, a lot more um, interactive sort of full motion video games aren't sort of raising their heads a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, when, whenever you think about it, you just have to go back to things like Night Trap and even um, uh, there was Ripper and there was uh, the Black Dahlia, um, you know, starring people like Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. Yes. I mean, there was also things like uh, The 11th Hour, The 7th Guest, uh, which yep. had which had clips of full motion video, uh, but all very poorly acted, as I recall. And the mm-hmm. um, uh, what do you call it? The, the Tex Murphy Adventures. Uh, yes. Yeah. So it was all sort of flat planes. uh it it was video, but it was just on a on a badly done blue screen against the very simple three D backgrounds. But still, sort of breakthrough stuff. Um, one thing that you'll find though is that, you know trying to fit it onto the the iPhone. Um, 
I know the iOS version of the bunker just came out last week and it was, I think it's something like a, a 1.6 gig download, but and, and because it's all video and there's nothing yeah. they can do to get around it, but that's what the experience is. You know, it's, mm. it's, we're not, it wasn't candy crush and it, it, it yeah. never <laughs> pretended to be that where, you know, it, it was going to be a movie experience. So it had to be the size of a downloadable movie. Uh, you know, yeah. you, you have to pack two to three hours of footage to make a one and a half hour video game that, mm. uh, you know, that with a three act play that, that allows you to deviate and things like that. So the, the, uh, I think the most interesting thing about uh, talking to say, uh, Adam, he, at times he, he, he couldn't follow the, the thread of what was going on. It was, uh, I sort of asked him, well, how do you know you're supposed to play this scene angry and then do it again in, uh, you know, aloof and the second one nervous? And he's like, I didn't know what was going on. They just told me what to do and I did it. And I spent a lot of my time <laughs> opening cupboards and drawers and closing them again. <laughs> I suppose in that style of gameplay or that style of game, um, probably the most recent one would have been something like Her Story, um, which is maybe less interactive as such, um, but just using that sort of splicing together of video footage. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, her story, we all know how many uh, awards that won and uh, how yeah. popular that was. And it was a breakthrough. Um, but uh, yeah, there seems to be, I think uh, Splendy is working on uh, the beginnings of their of their next one, uh, <laughs> which uh, will follow in the same vein, uh, still be creepy, still be full motion video. I mean, that's, they come from a, a video production background. So it's, uh, mm. and, and really their, their mentality of putting that together was, was saying, well, look, you know, you spend all this time on modeling and animation, and I realize there's a freedom to having a character that you can do anything you want with. But with really careful planning, maybe we can cut some of the costs out of this process and do the entire thing with video the way we would yeah. do a movie and just mm -hmm. do it all in the editing room. And and they did. They did a beautiful job. The, just sort of going on to you personally then, I'm just looking at the bits and pieces that are sort of clipped from your LinkedIn profile. So, in the past, you have had an office on the 73rd floor of the Empire State Building. True. Rode a tricycle around Australia. Also true. And once attended Oktoberfest with Miss Arkansas. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are fascinating stories behind all three of those. <laughs> well, the, the, the um, Empire State Building was, uh, that's me. Um, I, I grew up in Canada. Uh, and I did, you know, a degree in um, computer science because mm -hmm. back in the day that encompassed anything to do with computers. Um, and then w I moved to New York City uh, upon see, during my time at, at university. I ran a website design company with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Um, and she and I, uh, we pretty much did every website in the small town that we were from. And then decided we needed to move somewhere bigger. So that brought us to New York. And um, yeah, being able to, um, one of the offices from an internet startup we worked on was uh, was up on the 73rd floor of the Empire wow. State Building. And uh, probably the best story from our time there was we had two offices on the same floor. And the a broadband was hooked up to one office, and the um, but not the other one. And it was going to take another couple of weeks to get it to the other one. So... Mm -hmm. um, the, now, the 73rd floor is, uh, it's, you know, when you look at the Empire State Building, it's got sort of three steps as you approach the top. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So the 73rd floor, the 72nd floor is the first step around the outside. 
And that's and so we were one floor up from that. So if you looked at our windows, it was actually one floor down to a bit of a, a space, a balcony with some big spotlights that shine up the side of the building. And so, so you could look down at that. So um, in office number one, we said, well, we need broadband and we can't run it through the hallways. So we sent one of the guys out downstairs to climb out the window because and say I just dropped something out the window. We tossed a box of RJ45 down to him and he ran <laughs> around the outside of the building and tossed it up into the window of the second office and thus giving us the broadband we needed until the the uh, the man came. But um, so yeah, yeah, that wasn't me running around the outside but Looking back, I wish it was. <laughs> Why not? I'd love to say I was that guy. I'd love to be outside on that. Yeah, that and that's the claim to fame of the, the uh, Empire State. What about your time in Australia then? Oh, yes. Well, after leaving uh, New York City, um, we, um, my girlfriend slash wife and I traveled around, um, traveled around America and did a 48-state road trip. Um, so that started us off in Maine and we just drove our car up and down and up and down all over the United States until we hit the, uh, the West coast of Seattle and flew to Australia mm-hmm. and then decided we were, how are we going to see Australia? That's different to how we just saw America. Cause a lot of people drive around it in the car. So we decided we were going to do it on a bicycle. Um, now it says tricycle. It's a bit of a stretch. The thing did have three wheels. It was a tandem recumbent tricycle. So oh, okay. it was for it was like almost like uh, riding in a something about the size of a rowing machine. Um, mm. So it had two wheels at the back, one at the front, and you, uh, you so you could carry a bunch of stuff on the back of it. And we proceeded over the next year and a half to ride around the outside of Australia from Brisbane around to Brisbane again. Actually, from the big wow. pineapple. And so wow. that's where the uh, yeah. So the Australian trip uh, was a. Uh, it was definitely an adventure. A lot of survival. Uh, a lot of uh, you know running out of food and finding yeah. stuff in the backpack to see what we can get <laughs> to the next town. There's, in fact, you know, both the trips I'm talking about there—the road trip and uh, the Australian trip. If you go to roadtrip.beamers.com, and that's B-E-I-M-E-R-S, uh, and the other one is australia.beamers.com, we wrote our um, basically had a travel journal in the days before blogs were blogs mm-hmm. and the entire oh, okay. thing is still online and you can read about everything that we did in every city and somewhere mm-hmm. along the way of the uh, road trip you will see that we attended Oktoberfest with Miss Arkansas <laughs> sure to put a note to it in the uh, in the show notes yeah. <laughs> well, stick links and everything else as well yes so working in the industry and things like that, what is the sort of hardest part um, of working in the industry, um, other than obviously finding money and funding and things like that? Uh, funding's easy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just need a good idea. I have like two a week. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I'd say the, the hardest thing that I find in the, in the gaming industry is the, the difference between uh, working and finished. Um, and it's, it's a subtle thing. I've had, I've had many talks with my, uh, with my developers about it as well. The difference between saying, yes, this functions and it does what it's supposed to do and something that's releasable 
it feels like you've broken the back of it very quickly. I mean, I, I, game jams are one of my favorite um, uh, my favorite things to do uh, to let off steam and still feel, still feel like I'm part of the industry here. Um, mm-hmm. But in a game jam, you knock out a game uh, in 24 hours or 48 hours, whichever one you're participating yeah. in, sometimes eight hours. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we've made an entire game. And it's like, okay, well, suppose we wanted to take this game and make it releasable. Well, it turns out you've still got several more months of work <laughs> to polish things and get the bugs out and make sure people, you know, if they turn right, it still works when they were supposed to turn left. Um, mm-hmm. You know, making things profitable, making things polished. Uh, the, you know, getting Mona Lisa from its core um, core mechanic, you know, this, this two-minute forgery thing. I brought mm-hmm. that to GDC last year. Uh, so that would have been March of 2016 and started showing it around there. And people were really excited. And they're like, yeah, you got a game there. And like, uh, and and one guy said to me, you don't have a game yet. You've got a mechanic. Mm-hmm. I'm still interested to see what the game becomes. And he was absolutely right. It's now, it's now over a year later and it's now come together as with all the, with all the meta game and the retention stuff and, and uh, trying to turn it into something that has a flow to it. Uh, something that has enough delay in it that means you'll come back, but enough play in it that means it was rewarding. Uh, the, the whole concept of balancing any sort of game nowadays, it's not just a, um, uh, a premium story-led uh, thingamabob. It's, uh, it's so difficult because you just have to keep honing it and honing it. And even after you've released it, you're not done. You, you, you release it and then you play with it more. And then you get you know ten thousand players and a hundred thousand players. We're not even at that stage yet. We're just barely uh, scratching the surface with having a playable demo, um, and people are showing interest. And they're all saying, "Well, yeah, get back to me when you got decent retention rates and uh, and you can show that the the conversion's happening." And it's like, mm-hmm. geez, yeah, like I know that's part of the process, but that's it. Still feels like, hey, congratulations, you've made a game. You're ten percent of the way there. <laughs> yeah. For Mona Lisa, is it going to be um, a charged game or is it going to be free to play or freemium as they like to call it? Um, what what way, what route are you going down with it? I'm going freemium with this. Um, it's a it's a scary market. I will say that mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not going into this lightly. I can tell you that. Um, but it's um, I mean I've been a, a premium man my whole life. Um, I just like the idea of a game that you purchase and it never bothers you again for money and yeah. when you get to the end of it you're like that was satisfying i'm going to tell all my friends about it but it's like a mm-hmm. finite experience this is my first time trying to make something that is an infinite experience which is what free to play is supposed to be uh mm-hmm. the narrative has to take a turn toward um say a soap opera rather than a tv series um and that's been an interesting uh, like like most games you'll play will say they've got narrative, but it really is mostly like, sorry, but your princess is in another castle, right? <laughs> yes. that, that's what free-to-play narrative usually is. Oh, you made it. Oh, well, guess what? There's more to do. Mm. Um, and so what we're trying to do is create a world with characters. Those characters interact with one another and uh, and sort of driving you to want to continue to open new cities or to open new locations. And so 
around the time you're partway through Florence, you get an invitation from the Duke of Milan and he's having a party and you, and so he invites you up and wants you to bring something with you. But, uh, so that's, that forms the core of like a final boss heist that will open up Milan as a possibility of new painting locations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we want is to continue to drive the story, have bits of narrative open up and close down so that you get momentary bits of satisfaction. I'm going to see how this story ends, but the, the, the overall, the overarching story uh, continues to, to open new pathways. Yeah. So that's an experiment we're trying out and we've got, you know, it's all um, messing around with, with spreadsheets and, and mind maps and, you know, trying to get, it's, it still can be sort of boiled down to a linear series of, um, of missions, but uh, there's there's only so much branching we can do in such a thing. But it's uh, yeah, it's um, we're we're blazing new trails. Same way we're we're blazing new trails with the uh, game mechanic, um, with the painting. Uh, we're we're trying stuff out with the narrative, and we'll see if that works as a retention uh, method. Um, you know, keep people coming back to find out what happens next week. Yeah, how do you feel about the mobile market at the moment? It is a gong show. Um, the mobile market is, uh, you know, five years ago, it was, or even let's say seven years ago when we released Hector, um, you could put something out and people would say, oh, what's new in the app store today? And you could look at the the 25 games that were released that day. And that was nice and easy because you made something and it was new and noteworthy. And now you're looking at, you know, thousands of games per day being released. And if you don't get noticed, you're gone forever. And the the true fright, I suppose, of free to play is the idea that you've put your heart and soul into something. It might not get noticed. It might get noticed, but you've done the balancing wrong. It might be balanced correctly, but nobody buys it because part of it is fun. And uh, like it's it's such a... Um, it's a scary, treacherous path that requires a whole lot of brain power and uh, Microsoft Excel to think to see if you've got anywhere near in the neighborhood of a successful game. Hey, yeah. At the core of it, if your game is not fun, it doesn't matter how much you apply to it; uh, it will never be a success. You know, mm-hmm. and and I used to say things like. Um, you know, people would say the way to make tons of money is to make a free-to-play game. And my rebuttal to that was a poorly done premium game and a poorly done free-to-play game have as much chance of making zero as each other. Yeah. So so free-to-play in and of itself is not the answer. A good core game that has applied free-to-play properly in a way that is not too hard and not too soft in the region that it's being developed for. I mean, you keep adding dimension, 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 dimension onto it. So, so I mean, the, the publisher having a big hand in this, uh, you know, someone who knows the worldwide market, someone who knows the regional markets within the worldwide market, all that stuff I think is essential no matter how good your core game is. So <clears throat> that's that's our next step right now is, is farming it around and, and hoping that somebody uh, sees the potential. And so far, uh, it's gotten a good response. Yeah, certainly within the mobile market, 
it definitely seems that a lot of games and things catch on purely through word of mouth. Um, you know, as you say, there's so many games coming out that even reviewers and things are, you know, they don't have the time to sit and play or try everything. Yeah. Um, so it will be, it's the people who, you know, the developers and things who are possibly pushing their game as much as possible, trying to get the word of mouth out there, um, that are at least the game being seen. Um, if not necessarily then people talking about it and spreading it, but it's the ones that catch people and actually get the word of mouth going um, through that way because the advertising isn't necessarily worth the amount of money that you would necessarily get back on it um, depending and obviously then if you get picked up by either um, Google or Apple um, to be highlighted on the storefront that's a massive boost to you. Yeah absolutely feature is a big deal um, and continued uh, continued exposure is huge Um, back when we were first like I said, back at back at GDC 2016, when we were first getting to um, showing off Mona Lisa and uh, and getting just trying to decide where it was going, how to, whether to go premium or free to play, whether you know what was our business model, what was our market, that sort of a thing. Um, two things came to light. One of them was a talk I went to at I think it was Mobile Games Forum, and this would have been uh, let's. I want to say 2016, but it could have been 2015. Um, the the last talk of the day was from the press. It was the it was the games press, and unfortunately, it was the most depressing talk of the event. It ended on such a brown note. It was like they uh, everybody was up there, and it's like, yeah, we used to be 37 people. Now it's just me. And then somebody else is like, oh, yeah, we I used to run eight websites, and now it's actually one website, and it's all uh, dispensed through the former eight websites, and that sort of thing. <laughs> and so the, the number of people have gone down, and the need for reviews had gone down massively. And this was all sort of um, follow-on from free-to-play as a business model. Suddenly, it became... It unnecessary to read a review and decide whether you wanted to jump the paywall. Yeah. Instead, you just downloaded it. And if you didn't like it, you deleted it. And that's yep. and so advertising took over from the whole press side of things. You didn't care about giving people free copies beforehand because it didn't matter. Um, mm. And the other thing was uh, it was a talk by uh, Barry Mead uh, who did The Room, uh, Fireproof Games. Now, the room uh, obviously incredibly successful iOS. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, um, mobile tablet uh, market <clears> across the board, um, and a beautiful game. And when he was talking, somebody asked him the question about marketing. And uh, at, at the end of his talk, he'd already done a half hour on the room and how how, how um, they came to make what they made. And when somebody asked about advertising, he went off on a 15-minute tirade or so to talk about <laughs> how advertising is word of mouth that you pay for. And if yeah. you've already got the word of mouth, then you don't need a stitch of advertising because it's already been – the job is already being done for you. Mm -hmm. um, they – at one point, I think an advertiser asked them to, oh, why don't you put 10 grand into this and we'll see how it does. And And which unfortunately is most – most places will give you that. That's the most guarantee you'll ever get. Give me some money and we'll see what happens. And uh, off the back of it, they said they didn't even see a blip on the needle. Now, obviously, you know, they have 
they had a successful brand, a successful game, and it, it went as, as well as it did for them. And so that can't be guaranteed for everybody. Sometimes you do have to pay and have other people see your stuff. But if you've got the community and if you've got the backing, then um, then whether or not advertising is, is uh, going to help you out any more than the word of mouth and the community already is, is really anyone's guess, including the advertisers. Uh, it's, it's a very tough position to be in um, for developers and things <clears throat> at the moment, purely because, you know, even when people read reviews, they basically skip to the end to see what the score is. Yeah. Um, so you're basically hoping that you get, you know, one of those um, often wanted sevens, you know, but even now seven has become kind of the standard for a middling game, which is bizarre. Yeah, um, yeah. So it is, it's a really weird situation that a lot of people are in, you know, even review sites and then obviously even the developers and things like that. And we've seen companies go to the wall purely because they got a seven on a game that, you know, the company or the publisher were hoping for either an eight, a nine or even a ten on. Yeah, well, if they if they receive, I, I suppose the other side of it is, you know, it doesn't matter how many five star reviews you get, a one star from some guy who said it didn't install for every one of those, you need five, five stars in order to make it back. And yeah. it's, it's damaging when obviously you didn't release a game that doesn't install, but mm -hmm. this one man's experience is like, it didn't install one star and it's oh. crippled your rating. Um, yeah. One thing that happened with Schrodinger's cat that was very interesting was that, I got a lot of sixes and sevens, and but it wasn't universal what could have been improved because the game was actually quite a, a genre crosser, if you want to call it that. It was um, – I like to describe Schrodinger's Cat as Rayman meets Lemmings with a Big Bang Theory twist. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's the humor of Big Bang Theory, a lot of sort of high um, – what I like to call 99th percentile humor. There's a lot of um, uh, physics gags and, and, and puns and things like that going on inside of it, which yeah. you can play it as an eight-year-old or you can play it as a PhD and get two different experiences out of the thing. Um, so, But it had dialogue and it had run and jump. It had platforming. It had collection. It had um, multi-solvable puzzles. You, we give you a bunch of things. And if you want to do the whole thing with trampolines, you can do it. But if you want to do it with a moving platform, that'll also do it. So it was very much a, uh, uh, almost a sandbox platformer. Mm -hmm. And so even now, I'm having trouble summing it up into a, a single genre. Now, because it was a premium game, it was difficult to sell in a paragraph you know, we could we could put one paragraph down that described it, but anyone who's like, I'm looking for a platformer, this doesn't sound exactly like a platformer, so I'm going to go for something that's straight up platformer. So, yeah. so that sort of thing is hard to get over. And the second side of it was with the reviews, one person would say, I love the dialogue, but I don't like the gameplay. And somebody would sell, else would say, I love the gameplay, but I hate the dialogue. And so to get... Any kind of dissonance on the on the game, uh, the, you know, the, the crossover of genres, people liked things about it, but there was always something they didn't like about it, and that always brought the score down. So, mm -hmm. yeah, sixes and sevens were, were – uh, that's where it sat most of the time, which is unfortunate because at the very beginning, you know, if you go in as a, as a physics fan, 
it's exactly the sort of game that a physics fan would want made for them. So it's, it's gutsy in terms of uh, subject matter, um, but definitely not mainstream. But uh, that's fine, yeah. you know. I, I have no regrets. I, mean, I still love the game as it exists right now. I, I wouldn't have done it differently. One of the uh, going going back to like the reviews and stuff is is one of the hardest things. Cause I've I've got my own YouTube as a side to the podcast, um, and one of the hardest things to do is to look at my analytics and see that the the retention span for a uh, a YouTube video is about three minutes roughly, and you've got to get as much in those three minutes as you can. But to give a developer justice, who's you know some not not all the time, but I don't know fifty percent of the games I review they. I get the games for free. Um, yeah. They're not paying me to do anything. They, I'm just on a list. They, they give it to me. But to give that game enough justice yeah. that you can tell people what the game is about, what you think of the game, and tell them all the different bits of mechanics in that that three minutes. That my videos are normally a little bit longer than that. But to try and get your audience in those few minutes is just really, really hard. It's probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a crazy world. Uh, with the, with the um, I remember again when we released Hector, um, you get some people who like or don't like point and click adventures, and and the whole point of a point and click is to have a watertight story that takes place over the course of several hours, and when we live in a time when people want to know how to play a game uh, in five to ten seconds and have a core loop of a minute. If that, and you know, like really, once you've picked up Candy Crush and played it one swipe, that's all you need to know. And yeah. and that elaborates, and things open up, and stuff happens later in the way, and you can play it for nine hundred levels. And but that's that's all it is. And and Jetpack Joyride, you put your finger on, he goes up. You let go, he goes down. <laughs> and those ten second tutorials and and quick loops. Um, that's what's ruling the market these days because everybody wants something that only takes a couple seconds to play while they're waiting for a bus. They can play it for 45 minutes at a time, but it's 45 minutes worth of one-minute games. And so something like Schrodinger's Cat uh, or Hector, you have to immerse yourself in it. And sometimes reviewers will get that and go, oh, great, one of these games I have to immerse myself in. Well, forget that. I couldn't get involved in it. It's, it's gone. And that's, <laughs> you know, then what can you do? Not, not a Is whole lot. Is that where you're seeing a, a bit of a split in actual gamers and mobile gamers, if you want to split them like that? Yep. Whereas a gamer will give a any game, you know, at least a decent amount of time of day to, to see where we're going. And sometimes stuff like Candy Crush will completely turn them off. Yep. But then you've got the mobile gamers who are there just for something to do because they're bored. Yep. Um, I mean, what they've got them spinner things going on at the minute because people physically can't keep still. <laughs> so I think that's where the where the balance is. You've got some people that need to play with uh, what are they called? Hand spanners or something? Fidget spinners. Yeah. Fidget. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but then you've got people that are doing that, and then gamers where they'll actually give it a bit more of a time of day, probably double, quadruple the time that a fidget spinner would. Well, that's, I suppose it comes down to, um, uh, how do I, yeah, it's, it's daytime TV versus primetime TV versus the cinema and, and cinema, that's your premium game. That's your console gamer. It's like, I'm, I'm dedicating a finite amount of time to a game that has a completion time and I'm going to into it for an experience. Um, primetime is like your, 
episodic stuff. Those are your, your telltales and your, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of finite adventures in a row. And daytime TV is what most mobile games represent. It's it's a distraction for a few minutes and you don't care if you miss the ending uh, because it'll be there tomorrow. And so thinking in those terms, that's part of why we went for the old uh, maybe we have to have a soap opera style narrative. I'm not talking soap opera. Yeah, I don't want you to think that we made it all schmaltzy and and uh, uh, you know romantic and and I've got amnesia and I'm sleeping with your brother. <laughs> that, that's certainly not what we're doing. Uh, it's but but that style of advance a little bit on five different fronts. Uh, you know what's what's happening with Michelangelo? What's happening with the Pope? What's happening with with the Duke of Milan? Those sorts of things. Our our slow progress in those are the the little mini. Well, one of these stories is going to pan out to something interesting. Uh, so that's our daytime TV style. Uh, but trying to be clever enough that it's on the edge of of uh, yes, yeah, it's daytime on the edge of prime time. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Out of interest, what is your opinion of like expos and things? So some stuff like EGX Rest and you're a gamer, and then the different conventions and stuff that you go to. Obviously, from a from a, uh, a customer's point of view, if you like, so someone that's coming to see the stalls, you know, we love it. We we get a buzz out of it. We go to play all the different games and meet people like yourself and have a good chat and and meet people that you don't normally meet. But what's it like from from a developer's point of view? Are they horrendous? Obviously, it's long days and a lot of repetitiveness. But what what are they like from your point of view? Well, okay, I can compare my experience so far with um, the release of Schrodinger's Cat. Uh, Schrodinger's Cat was published by Team 17, and uh, Team 17 has a huge presence at all UK events. So um, that uh, being part of that posse um, was – so they have the Team 17 block, and it would have – uh, the escapists and LA cops and flockers and me and beyond eyes. That's this would have been uh, what two, three years ago. Mm. The first round of Team 17 um, uh, releases, third party releases. Now, um, by going to those things, yeah, you, you feel as though you want to get as much out of it as possible. So you, you almost don't want to slip away. You don't want to eat. You don't want to go to the bathroom. You don't want to, uh, you just want to stand there next to the booth. And if anybody comes up, it's another opportunity. Um, sales aren't necessarily made that way. You know, you want to get as much interest as possible. But, um, what I would say about Schrodinger's cat is that it is a game that takes a little bit of time to get into. It, it has a five minute tutorial that reveals itself slowly uh, by the time you finish the first couple of levels you know pretty much what the game is going to be about um, but it takes some learning to figure out how to make it all happen um, that means that everyone who sits down at my booth will stay for 5 10 15 sometimes half an hour um, and that's over the course of eight hours you're talking 16 people playing the game mm -hmm. um, if you've got a game that's a small core loop, you know, something like uh, like Panarium would have been there at the time um, where, where it's um, uh, a head to head, you know, or, or local multiplayer overruled was another one. Uh, you know, four people can sit at the screen, play it for two minutes, yell and scream and laugh at each other and slap each other in the back of the head and then go, that was really fun and put it down. Then that's that's a better use if you've got a game that's local multiplayer or if you've got a game that's a quick time to get the whole concept that's ideal for you to be at um a conference um 
what I'm looking for, looking forward to now with Mona Lisa is the fact that it's a mobile game. Um, and what's nice about that is I am not tied to a booth. If you're tied yep. to a booth, there's a certain amount of desperation that comes with that. Um, I've seen it where, you know, the, the, the crowds die down around lunch. And as things start to pick up, it's like all the people who are there start to get antsy. And they're like, I got I to gotta use my money wisely uh, that I bought for this booth. And then somebody turns a corner and everyone looks like dogs waiting to be let out of a car. You know, that, that <laughs> kind of like, huh? Huh? Oh, hey, somebody? Person? Huh? And... And that person goes, oh, geez, I'm not going down that aisle. They all look too, way too, way too desperate. Um, but when I'm when I've got my stuff on mobile or on you know walking around with the iPad, I look at other people's stuff, and while I'm doing theirs, I go here, play mine. And yeah. so yeah. I end up with a mobile game being able to spread my love around the building a lot easier than someone who must actively or sorry, passively wait for someone to come and visit them in the hopes mm. that they sit down. Um, it's a lot more forthcoming to just sort of spring it on people and and opportunistic as well. You can be at lunch and go, here's mine. And you can be in the line at a party and say, here's mine. And at the drinks event later on and say, here's mine. Um, it, whereas if you got an Xbox game, you're like, well, I'll, I'll show you at the booth tomorrow if you bother to come by. Mm. So yeah, if, um, I consider... I like to think, what stage am I at with the game and what am I likely to get out of it? And if it's going to cost me, let's say it's going to cost me 3000 to be in a booth, am I going to get 3000 worth of outcome on the other side of that? Mm-hmm. And if not, then I'll just wander around and talk about it or I'll bring an iPad with a video on it. And, and uh, for the most part, that's done me well enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are they quite costly from a, a developer's point of view? Obviously, you've had the luxury of being with... Uh, Team 17 and things, but uh, uh, was it last year, Stu, you were saying that there were so many hundreds of pounds per day? Yeah, it was something ridiculous it was. Um, I I can't remember exactly, but for some reason I have about 800 pounds um, yeah. in my head, and it wouldn't surprise me. I think those were even sort of the small little half booths or whatever that were maybe in and around raised. Um, sort of that area for EGX last year. Um, as I say, I can't even remember if that's right. It could even have been more. It wouldn't um, be surprised at all if it was more. Well, I remember costs coming up, things like at EGX, where um, they want all the uh, the equipment to be rented from the same person. And so mm-hmm. to rent a PC with a controller and a stool and a monitor and all that stuff, one workstation was a thousand pounds for the event. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, well, yeah, I mean, maybe this, I'm, I'm trying to think back. I, I shouldn't brand one because I think all of them have some, corner, some sort of... Uh, you know, the, the booth costs this much. The art on the booth costs this much. The PC on the booth costs this much more. If you want a stool, if you want two controllers, if you want a keyboard, if you want a mouse. And it's and it's a cost per day. Yeah. And and it's sometimes you say, well, can I bring my own stuff? And they'll say, no, it's got to match the rest of this stuff because we know this is reliable and we don't know yours. So <clears throat> everything's got another string attached to it. Um, which again, it makes it easier if I'm walking around with my own iPad because I know exactly how it's going to work. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's uh, it it can really add up, and I'm I'm on the fence of whether it's. Uh, I mean, I, I, of course, you also have to class the event. Some events are consumers, 
and some events are industry and some events are indie sure. and some events are fans. So mm-hmm. the difference between GDC and E3, um, that's, that's night and day. Um, the difference between like Manchester Play Expo and Insomnia, uh, again, um, Play Expo is, is um, consumers coming in, seeing what the latest indie stuff is. But it's uh, and there's a similar side to that at um, at Insomnia, but Insomnia is much more of a gaming. Like we all came here to play um, local multiplayer or land games, or you know, there's, there's rooms dedicated to Command and Conquer, and other ones dedicated to um, you know, like Worms Two, and so, uh, but like a whole bunch of people in the room all playing it head to head, Battlefield, mm-hmm. all those things. And then again, you got Paris Games Week, and that's another thing. And then, and that's consumers, which is right next to Game Connection, which is all industry. It's all like high end CEOs of large companies. You'll meet the the head of uh, of uh, you know, or the the representative of Nintendo and the representative of uh, Apple, the evangelist of Unity, and that sort of a thing. So, um, it depends on what you're there for. If it's getting it out to people then do your research. If you're getting it out to industry professionals, that's another whole um, line that you're going to have to go down. Are you doing many of the conventions this year, though? Uh, yes, I'm just starting to ramp up on uh, on the convention circuit, I suppose. Um, I'm hoping to go to, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, Gamescom. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been to Gamescom Cologne. Um, I- I've done... Like I've done a couple of GDCs over in San Francisco, but uh, this last one I've skipped out on. I just wasn't in the right place with Mona Lisa for it. Really, I like going to events when I'm at the very beginning of a new project or mm. when I'm at the end, almost at the end of my current project. Because what I don't like is the idea, the feeling of desperation that um, this, that making an a deal, making a deal at this event is going to make or break my business. And really, no no deals are made at the event. It's good to shake a lot of hands and it's but but when I go to these events with an early build or with a concept or with a video uh, to, of what I'm about to work on next. Um, it's it's fun to sell smoke and mirrors and and much easier <laughs> to be honest. Um, you can say all the things it's going to be and people say, "Well, that's that's great. Yeah, make sure you Make sure you send me something when you've got it, and you build up a nice big list of people who uh, are interested in whatever exciting things you're doing next. That's that's really my favorite time to go. Um, if it was a case of me seeking out, you know, at, by the end of this trip, I need a publisher. There's, uh, I I would smell of desperation, and I think that would uh, that would taint the pitch ever so slightly. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, coming up. Um, I will be going to Gamescom, I hope. Uh, Casual Connect, I'm looking at. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, um, well, you know, if I get accepted for Indicate, I'll try for that one as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of, lot of what do you call it, irons in the fire. Um, and we'll see which ones of them pan out. Yeah. What about EGX this year? Mm, I hadn't considered, but perhaps. Oh no! It was just um, we uh, the podcast because we we're sort of all in um, different bits of the UK and what have you. We um, all tried to get together last year for EGX, and I think um, what three or four of us, uh, four of us managed it. 
Um, so I think we're going to try yeah. and do a meetup or whatever again this year, mm-hmm. um, just to actually get together and things like that. So it's interesting just to hear if you know there, there's a chance to meet up with some of the developers and things that we've actually got talking to on the podcast, just to sit and actually you know even get out and buy them a drink or whatever, or even getting hands on with their games that they've been talking about. Yeah, oh, that'd be fantastic. I mean, I, I do like EGX. It's a it's a great atmosphere, and the um, like I, I went there when uh, Wailing Heights was in development, and mm-hmm. um, Really, uh, Stephen from Outsider Games, uh, he had a booth um, and sort of and brought me along as the 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 backup. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the the experience of like being in the middle of the indie section, and um, I tell you, when I go to events like like EGX, you know, you look, you see the battlefields, you see the Star Wars Battlefront, you see the Destiny, and all all these different games that you know are you know I hate to say it, but they always they feel like they feel a little bit safe. Um, yeah. You know, they, you've got to answer to focus groups and shareholders. And, and when you're spending millions and millions of, of pounds to make a game, you know kind of that it's going to fit into a certain category. And when you wander around the indie section, it is so refreshing and un-Disney. I don't know. I don't even know how to, to <laughs> find a... Um, an adjective for it, but it's it's like a game jam. It's sometimes you'll see a game made of squares and lines, and then you'll you'll play things like uh, like Gang Beasts, where it's just you know eight people crowded around a machine, um, just flinging each other off into subway pits and things like that. And then and then you move down the line a bit, and, and there's um, a tycoon game, and there's a game. Uh, I remember a game called I think it was Party Hard. Where yes. you, you had to sneak around yeah. and, and kill people before anybody realized you were there, and and, and it, uh, you know, and everything from high end three D beautifully rendered stuff all the way down to squares, um, you know, squares bashing into each other. Um, the I, I just uh, you know you walk wander around there and it really is like the circus sideshow where all the good stories come out of. Um, mm. Yeah, the indie sections uh, always top notch at uh, EGX. I gotta say. Yeah, um, whenever I went last year, I think that was definitely sort of hanging around the rest section and even the left field collection as well. Yeah. It's it's a lot more personable. It's the fact that whoever you're talking to on the booth is either the sole developer of the game or at least, you know, has had a heavy hand in producing the game and what have you to that level. Yes. Whereas whenever, whenever you go to the bigger booths, they're all basically manned by PR teams. Yeah. And there's no real conversation there um, about the game other than them basically just trying to promote it. It was yeah. wonderful just sort of being able to stand and talk to people about the games and just hear him the enthusiasm about them. I didn't even necessarily need to get sort of hands-on with them. It was more just... Being able to, um, you know, for people to be able to talk about their passion for the game that they're they've been developing for however long it is, yeah, and uh, them obviously them wanting to sort of, um, get a name for it out there and uh, get people playing it as much as anything. Never mind just buying it. Yeah. Well, I, I find that it's um, when you go to these, it's uh, the different stages the people are at. I mean, I've met somebody who said uh, who had who had just released it, and then went to the event so that they could say, yeah, play this. And when is this out? Oh, it's uh, it's out now. You can get it now, and that's that's yeah. one way of going about it. Somebody else at the same event was like, "I would never come here with a released game. That would be such a waste of time." Um, mm-hmm. It's all about the hype. It's all about the what this game could be and getting people on lists and building communities. So, I mean, it's uh, I, what I suppose I like about going to events um, is the 
the camaraderie, the the um, like seeing the same people in different cities. You know, when you go to enough, you know, you go to San Francisco and then you go to Germany and you go to Amsterdam and then you keep bumping into the same old crowd and it sort of makes you feel like, yeah, the world is smaller than you think. Okay, so we'll move on to the price is just about right. Insert jingle here. is just about right. So, Ali, what have you bought recently? Um, so, um, one of the things isn't actually a game, but I need to blame you for it anyway, Stu. It's not my talking. fault. I, I did not enable you. All I did was send it you is. a picture. <laughs> it's not my fault. Um, so, uh, local home bargain stores uh, within the UK um, have QFigs in, which is like the, the new 2017 version of Pop Vinyls. Different companies, mm-hmm. but... Uh, they uh, are a superhero or a iconic figure of some kind. Yeah, pop. Do it, strike a pose. Figures or whatever, yeah. Yeah, um, and some of them have got like a little speech ball coming out of them as well. Uh, I've seen them quite a bit on Loot Crate videos uh, when people have been unboxing them. Uh, and they actually had a couple of Loot Crate exclusives. Um, so they're two ninety nine. Yes, uh, um, the ones that I saw anyway. And I think, yeah, the ones yeah. that you picked up as well, which... Compared to something like the um, the Funko Pops and what have you, is a very good price point if you can get them. Yes, very. I, I had a quick look on eBay, and some of the ones that are in these stores are going for between eight and fifteen pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a sucker for a little collectible, uh, so I went and brought four. <laughs> I, I only showed you pictures of two, and you came well, back know, with four. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was there, and then there's a Batman one, and that's a must-have. And then there was two different types of Deadpool, which were Loot Crate exclusives, so they went in the basket. And then, <laughs> oh, there's Hulk, so I'll put that one in as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's your fault, Stu. Um, no. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm just glad it was you buying them and not me, because, yeah, <laughs> my yeah. wife would not have been happy. Well, I might do a little unboxing video and you might tempt me to buy them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then the only other thing that, I haven't brought, but I kind of did, uh, is I put Fallout Shelter onto my uh, Xbox One. Oh, okay. Which is te- technically free to play. It is, yeah. Um, but I got back into it because there's been a lot of updates since it was released. Is it about two years ago? Um, yeah, it was, a, it was at least that um, back on the um, iPad. And I think yeah. Android took a little bit longer. And then I think it was on the announcement of Fallout 4, they said that it would be coming to um, PC. But it took an absolute age for it yeah, to eventually so think, come to PC and consoles. Yeah, on PC and console, it's maybe a year old, if not possibly even six not, months. Yeah, not that. even that long, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so it came up after playing it for a little bit. I like it anyway. It's nice to play on a big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it came up just saying, oh, do you want like a starter bundle? So I shelled out a fiver. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not bothered like like yourself, Stu. If a game's good and it's free, I don't mind shelling out a bit to show a bit of support. Not that yeah. technically Bethesda need that, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> no. that's one of the conversation. Um, but yeah, so uh, playing that, uh, I'll go on a little bit about that later on. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're the two things that I've been buying. That's okay. Kevin, have you picked anything up? Absolutely nothing. Uh, I am an indie developer, which means I am broke. I have no time. And when I play games by anyone else, I uh, I get depressed because I feel like, <laughs> where have I gone wrong? So, <laughs> so it, through development, it's very tricky for me to actually go, mm, 
do I want to take the time out of my day to play this or should I spend more time making my own stuff? Um, so uh, unfortunately, I've got nothing to contribute to your prices almost right. Uh, I, I do buy coffee quite often. <laughs> well, you know, the developer's drink of choice, isn't it? Exactly. Let's, 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 conveniently, that's where my office is. Uh, well, it's a roving office. Sometimes it's Starbucks, sometimes it's Cafe Nero. Yeah. <laughs> um, as for myself, I've picked up a couple of wee things. Um, recently, please don't touch anything. Uh, the 3D version was um, on Android for 89p. So having already played the ordinary 2D version on PC, um, I thought I'd pick that up. Usually it's about a 5 or so, 5.50 I think, um, on Android, which I think is maybe a little dear. But the 3D version of it is really quite impressive. Um, it actually builds a proper 3D environment into the whole desk that you're not supposed to touch any of the buttons on. Um, my, I haven't played an awful lot of the 3D version of it. and There is also a proper VR version of it um, available yeah. currently. So it's uh, I know it's available on Gear VR. Um, so I will be looking out for that possibly in a sale at some stage um, if it comes up. Because I think having looked or played a little tiny bit of the... 3D version on my phone, it would suit v- yeah, VR so well. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, the other ones then I picked up were sort of recent sales on um, both Steam and Humble Bundle. Uh, Humble have been running a um, spring sale, uh, so they have. So I, from that, I picked up Lady Killer in a Bind, um, which is the newest uh, visual novel by Christine Love. Um, it was down, I think, half price. Plus then I got the um, monthly subscribers ten percent off as well, so that took it down to uh, a little over a ten tenner. Um, so I picked that up, and the other two games then on Steam were from last week's sale, um, which were the deluxe version of Satellite Rain, um, which is Ooh. like a spiritual successor to Syndicate. Yeah, yeah. and um, which I, for whatever reason, in my head, I had this as this was a new remastered version of an old game. Because for some reason, just the artwork on the um, sort of the title screen uh, or the game banner or whatever looked very similar to an old game that I have on PC. And I'm I'm nearly sure. Now thinking on it, I think it's Dark Rain, possibly, which is possibly completely unrelated. But anyway, um, we'll have to hook up for a multiplayer game at that some point. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I think I'd seen it on Savvy Gamer, basically saying that this was the lowest it's been for um, basically since it was released um, back in 2015, so it was down to about a fiver. Um, So I thought that was nice picking up, and just because um, through Steam every so often I get little discount vouchers and what have you um, just sent into my inventory. Um, one of the ones came up was Mini Ghost. Um, ordinarily, the game itself is about one pound twenty or so, um, with the voucher and what have you, it took it down less than a pound. So I thought, well, I'm buying one game, I might as well throw in one for less than a pound as well. So I picked up that as well. Haven't played it yet, um, or haven't played Satellite Rain yet either. So I've still to report back on those to see what they're like. But I'll get around to them at some stage. So those vouchers, is that your confession of saying that you spend far too much money on Steam games, or you have I, too many, and now I, they're sending you vouchers to buy more? Um, <laughs> the latter one. <laughs> Possibly, or it, it's an odd little system, it don't, doesn't seem to be explained anywhere why you would necessarily get them. Um, and the game certainly wasn't even in my wish list. If it was in my wish list, you could understand them maybe sending out a voucher um, yeah. just to sort of push people to actually picking it up on things. But I, it wasn't in my wish list. It hadn't even been on my radar um, as even existing. Um, but for whatever reason, I got a little voucher. So it may have been that I had a previous game made by the same developer um, yeah. or publisher, and they just pushed those out through the system. 
And Fair so, yeah, well, if I got sort of, you know, less than a pound sale on it, that's money in their pockets. Um, yeah. So, not too bad. Okay, we will move on to our recently played then. Kevin, do you want to start us off with your games? Ah, um, well, I mean, obviously with uh, with Mona Lisa, um, part of what I've been trying to research is, uh, I know it's, it's not really the same thing as what games have I been playing. Um, research <laughs> have been uh, illusion of talent games. Uh, so I've been uh, fiddling around with how games like um, uh, Piano Tiles and uh, Rolling Sky, uh, Dancing Line, things like that have been put together. But, mm-hmm. but really, uh, in terms of um, games for enjoyment, um, I recently picked up a game called Love You to Bits, um, which is a how do you call it? It's not exactly. It's a puzzler. It's like a. It, it feels like a platformer, but it's much more like a um, you know finding the key to unlock the door type of game. Um, <clears throat> but it's this. Uh, it's this beautifully drawn and beautifully animated story uh, of a boy who's fallen in love with a robot. The robot gets uh, destroyed at the beginning and all the pieces flung out into space. And you spend the rest of the game um, locating the pieces and putting your robot back together. Um, now, it's the the platforming – sorry, not the platforming. The puzzle side of things is, you know, this, take, this, this level is in a mall. This level is in a graveyard. This level messes around with time travel. This level messes around with um, – uh, multiple versions of yourself, uh, that kind of a thing. But it's all sort of weird alien lands. Um, but the story doesn't have a single uh, word of dialogue in it, and yet the characterization is so good. It's it's just it's a really enjoyable game that uh, I would recommend to anybody. I think I had heard of it. Um, I think um, Kate Gray, um, the Guardian, uh, one of the Guardian review writers and what have you, had been talking about it on Twitter and things like that. Yep, and said that it was definitely worth um, looking out for. I think it was four ninety nine or three ninety nine usually, but I picked it up at the free app of the week. Oh uh, yeah, and uh, again, I'm 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 my own worst uh, uh, customer. I'm I'm very much like without having a whole lot of time to do anything. Um, I don't buy a lot of games, and so when this came up, it's like that ah, it hits all the right buttons and it's free. I'll give it a shot, and I'm really glad I did. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely one that I want to have a week go at, um, just to see what it is like. I love the the phrase there that you use the illusion of talent games for, for that sort of specific genre. Um, I, I suppose that to an extent it could be um, applied to a lot of sort of the rhythm games and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the rhythm games, um, again, I can talk about myself for a little bit. Uh, Mona Lisa is... Uh, what we like to call a semi-rhythm game, um, semi-rhythmic, because it's um, the the strokes, the the paint strokes that you're uh, making these paintings with. They they come on the screen to a beat, but mm-hmm. uh, you don't have to hit them on the beat. And as a result, I, whereas something like Guitar Hero is about hitting the note at the exact moment the note is supposed to be hit, mm-hmm. um, this is more like uh, we make the painting into a dance and you're kind of stumbling to keep up with the dance. But as long as you hit all the strokes and uh, the, even if you don't, even if you wander off the screen somewhere and draw a hat on the character, that, that's fine too. So it's almost like uh, we let the creativity flow a little bit more than your old good, good, perfect, good style of, of rhythmic gameplay. Um, but yeah, even um, 
but we know that there's going to be a bit of genre crossover for the folks who, uh, you know, people who like piano tiles will also like this. Um, people who like Guitar Hero, even even these games like, I don't know if you've seen Dancing Line. That's the, the latest from uh, Cheetah Mobile. Same guys as, as um, piano tiles. But it's just oh. tap the screen to change the note. And it's a little thing that's sort of moving its way through a bunch of piano keys. But it's all, mm. it feels like you're doing something and creating something nice with uh, without needing the lessons required to make it happen. Ali, what have you been playing? Uh, a few bits and bobs here and there. So, uh, like I said, I've picked up Fallout Shelter again. There's been quite a sizable update since the first time I played it on iPad. I don't know if all the features have gone across everything. I presume they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so now when you send out um, a, uh, a vault dweller out, you can send them out on a mission. You actually go and do the mission. Um, and you go to a new building or whatever and you have to go through the different floors and kill the enemies and different things uh, and whatnot. That's the the newest feature uh, that I've come across uh, other than you've now got pets as well uh, and you've got robots that will roam around and gather electric and water and stuff from your, your various bits. Um, so pick that up again just because it's a nice little game just to sit and you can faff around for five or ten minutes and whatnot while you're waiting for dinner to cook. Mm-hmm. Um Picked up Lego Marvel Superheroes again. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy and Kev were talking in the the main chat about how good it is. Uh, I've had it since release and just never finished it. Uh, so I finished that, and the only thing that has annoyed me is I finished the main story, uh, and then I'm going to go through and try and get all the characters and and all that. Um, and then I thought, right, I've had enough for today, and then went to have a go on it just before we started recording. And my wife said, oh, do you mind if joining? No, no, not a problem. And then it wanted me to do the last mission again. So somehow it's not saved my progress, which is a little bit annoying. Uh, Don't know how, whatever. Um, So it's just a little bit frustrating that I've now got to go and do that battle uh, on the helicarrier again. But Mm. yeah, one of them things. Uh, Still obsessed with uh, Motorsport Manager. Uh, I I can't get enough of it. I've just managed to get one of my guys up to third. Uh, on the podium for my for, for one of my races, uh, so that's about the seventh race uh, mm-hmm. in this season. Uh, just trying to get to grips with it, trying to understand it a little bit more, uh, find out where the where to save money and get money and get more out of the car and, and different things. There's a lot to get your head around, uh, but it's very simple to an extent. You can just go on and play it and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's that's really good. Loving yeah, that. Lovely looking. I sat in on whenever you were playing it on Steam, um, just yeah. through the, the sort of view um, thing that you can do with your friends and things like that. And it, graphically, it looks very impressive. Obviously, just with it being a management game and what have you, they could have stripped it right back and gone very, very basic. But they have yeah. put an awful lot of time into the tracks and things like that, and it, it definitely shows on it. Yeah, I think the if you want the really stripped back version, which is where it originally started, was actually on iOS mm-hmm. and I think on Android as well. So that is just like a little dot going around. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can have it in three D and see the cars, why not? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I tried to upgrade my factory to get some enhancements, and the uh, the chairman of the uh, the team uh, basically told me to go away. <laughs> 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 You're not spending eight million on that when we're already like, you know. Half a million debt. So it's mm-hmm. only half a million, you know. But, uh, so yeah, that's that. And then the last thing is cats uh, on the mobile device. Uh, I've got that on my uh, uh, on Android, mm-hmm. uh, and it's great. Basically, it's um, it's called cats. I don't know why it's called cats, but basically, there's a cat in a vehicle that you build, 
uh, and you start off at cardboard and then you go to metal or, or you, I think you start off at wood and then go to metal and go through different principles that way and basically you get a, a frame work of a uh, I won't even say a car because they're not even car shapes but just a framework of mm-hmm. a thing uh, and then you can put wheels on it guns on it um, so you've got rockets lasers uh, chainsaws and then you've got a um, like a uh, circular sword but it goes round as well so not only does that spin around but it's on a big arm that swings around and you've got massive drills and basically you've just got to beat the snot out of the other people um, <laughs> and it's free to play um, and there's no intrusion in the game at all saying come and buy this come and buy that every now mm. and again you get an offer um, and if, if if you have the offer you have the offer if you don't you don't um, and the good thing is as well is you get for every uh, four games that you win or when you get on a streak you get a, a maximum of four cases that you can open mm-hmm. uh, they take two hours to open if you just leave it going or you can watch uh, 30 minute videos mm-hmm. which takes it down um, and I think the maximum you can watch is about six in a row maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. um, which which is quite nice so if you want to open it you can just sit there and just spam them a little bit yeah. there's something obviously built into the game to stop people constantly spamming it um, but yeah, it's, it's a nice little game, just something to do on your lunch break. Um, you don't have to do anything other than just click go. Um, but it's more about experimenting with the physics of how your car's going to react and different things. So it's good fun. Yeah, I actually meant to have a play of this um, whenever you'd mentioned it, um, just in our little chat and things like that. I did install it, um, but then the recent Nougat um, update for my Samsung S6 came out, and so I had to uninstall a load of things. So Cats is just one of those ones that I haven't quite got back around to actually reinstalling. Um, Thankfully, though, the update has actually freed up like an extra gig, nearly two gig in space on my phone, which is quite impressive. Yeah. Um, for that, so yeah, there's a room for a lot more games on it now. Yeah, get it that's installed. Po- possibly a bad thing, but yeah, I will get it installed again, so we'll have another go. Cool. Um, out of those ones, would you recommend any of them for a lapsed gamer? Um, most of them. Um, <laughs> Fallout Shelter is a good shout, mm-hmm. just because it's free. You mm-hmm. don't have to spend any money on it, uh, and it's a nice little base builder, uh, kind of like Sims, but in a vault, in a in a Fallout way. Um, if you're not into that kind of thing, obviously any Lego games always I recommend. Yeah. Uh, apart from the fact there's a little bug in it or whatever has happened with it not saving for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so either of them two really depends on what takes your fancy. Oh, very good. Okay, um, my ones then. I have been back to playing a little bit of Breath of the Wild on the Wii U, um, which is still stunning, and I'm still just going round occasionally finding little Kuroxids and yep. um, doing the occasional shrine. I still feel as if I'm ridiculously underpowered to even go anywhere near some of the divine beasts and things like that. So at the minute, I'm still just getting up some of the towers to try and unlock some of the parts of the map, what have you, just to make it easier to warp to um every yeah. so often and again just sort of generally powering myself up um it's nice having the amiibos although yeah usually the first like 10 minutes or so of <laughs> scanning putting the game is putting the game on is scanning amiibos yeah. um just to get the ingredients and things like that but it's still such a fantastic game and i actually don't mind that style of play on it i don't feel as if i need to push myself um to go any further than i need to and just going around doing each of the shrines is actually its own little sort of puzzle game as such um i actually recently started up the witness um on the pc 
um, which is again is you wandering around an island doing little line puzzles and to an extent um, the way I'm playing Breath of the Wild is very similar to the sort of structure that The Witness has as well. There's obviously an underlying story and what have you there, but at the minute I'm basically playing the pair of them as almost little um, puzzle games. Right. Um, which is an interesting way of doing it, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, the other game then, or one of the other games, is the Sword of Zolan, um, which is on both iOS and Android. It is, probably the best way of describing it is as a 16-bit um 2D action um, swords and sandals game, <laughs> that sort of um, idea. If you look it up it it's kind of one of those games that looks as if it's sort of instantly recognisable. Um, it's a very cheap as well. Um, I'm not sure if I picked it up free at some stage or if the um, if I did pay for it um, but it's something that I seem to have had on my phone for a good wee while. On iOS it's currently 50p and um, I, my recent purchase of a Bluetooth controller, it works really, really nicely with that as well. Basically, you go through each of the levels trying to save three prisoners um, on each of the levels and discovering a treasure chest. Uh, there appears to be ten levels per act, and there's three acts. Um, so there's plenty of levels there to get through um, for a very small cost. Um, a I've only recently actually started playing it with um, headphones in, so I'm actually picking up the speech. And it's puts me off a little tiny bit just because it is kind of that really cheesy machismo um, sort of speech that you would get in something like Duke Nukem and what have you. For a lot of people they will love that. For me it's a little bit of a turn off um, but it's still an enjoyable and very solid little game um, on mobile and unfortunately I can't find anything more about the developer. Um, it's almost as if they have completely disappeared. Um yeah. The developer is, uh, let me just look this up, they are um, Alper Sarakaya. Um, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of other details about any other games or anything. Oh, no, there is. There's actually a listing down at the bottom of the page um, about some other games. Again, not ones that I've heard of. Um, Manu Ganu, Manu Ganu 2 and Gravity Project. Um, so whether or not they're all just little mobile games that have disappeared um, into the sort of glut um, of games that there is on mobile. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as a little game, I don't know why I picked it up. Why, again, <laughs> it, was, it, it was more than likely featured on the uh, front page of the Google um, Android store. And I thought, that looks all right. It was either free or cheap. According to the website, there is, it's a premium game um, that doesn't have any in-app purchases or ads. So again, I must have um, got it even like on a 10p deal of the week or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, thoroughly enjoyable little game um, that does what it sets out to do and uh, is very reminiscent of just that 16-bit era. Okay. The other game that I've been playing then is called Clocky. Um, I have been playing it on iOS, but it is also available, I think, on Android and PC. Um, it was the free puzzler um, or free app um, of the week on the week past there um, on iOS. It's a very clever minimalist um, kind of thing, um, puzzle game. Basically you're presented with a board and you have to move tiles around so that lines um, basically finish. Um, so you have a start um, and then an end piece um, that you have to basically create just a continuous line from. On some of the levels then it gets a lot more complicated because it's not you just switching tiles, you're actually sort of moving around in like a block slider puzzle. Um, there'll be other ones where it's little, um, they're on little wheels so if you touch them once they'll turn a quarter turn. 
and you have to still try and get all the lines lined up, then um, as you keep progressing through the levels, it keeps adding um, all of those different methods together. Um, so there's other ones where there's little sort of levers which actually turn um, the table or the board um, around, uh, say, 180 degrees or you know a quarter turn and things like that. Um, so you have to still try and get all the lines li lined up. It's a lovely little game. Um, it was... It's made by the same developer as a game that I played a good long while ago um, called Hook, um, which is it is made by, I am going to absolutely butcher this, um, <laughs> Massiege Targoni. Um, okay. It's both Hook and Clocky are very, very clever little puzzle games. They are both cheap um, on any of the stores that they're on. And are definitely worth your time. They have ends, I think. Um, each of them is possibly about 100 levels each. Um, I played Hook over possibly two days. Um, just because it's so nice to play um, on a touchscreen. And I, I think I've completed it actually on PC as well. Um, just because it was so interesting. It's Hook itself is like a, a lot of interlocking lines. Um almost like sort of a game of pickup sticks where you can only move a certain one at a certain time because it's um, any of the other ones are being stopped by this one so you obviously have to remove it first um, but there's a lot of different then switches and things within it to try and move all the lines all together and Clocky is just again on that same vein of a very clever but simple um, sort of stripped down puzzle game and uh, okay. both are very very good for my recommendation I would love to say Breath of the Wild um, for a yeah. lapsed gamer, so it, it, but it is such a huge undertaking, and yeah. in reality, if you're a lapsed gamer and you're coming in and you're playing Breath of the Wild, everything else will then pale into insignificance almost, um, because you would be playing possibly one of the games, uh, definitely of um, the current generation, if not um, a lot more. I think a lot of people are already listing that as their number one um, Zelda game, uh, which is saying an awful lot considering how long Ocarina of, of Time um, has stood at the top of those lists. Yeah. But in reality I would probably say that Sword of Zolan is perfect for anybody who loved um, little 16-bit 2D hack and slash em ups. Um, it's a fantastic little game. And again for anybody who doesn't like any of those games but likes puzzle games, Clocky is um, hard to not recommend. Um, so yeah, I'm possibly recommending all three. Um, out, <laughs> um, out of those, I will go with Clocker, um, just okay. because it's a, a lovely little, as we've been discussing, um, it's one of those games that you can sit down and play a level on, and you'll maybe beat the level in about 30 seconds, put your phone away, and that's it done. The next time you've got another minute or so, um, pull your phone out, and you're having another week over that. Um, the levels on Sora Zolan maybe take about three to five minutes-ish. Um, so it's not quite that sort of very quick pick up and play um, but yeah um, all of those games are fantastic so they are lovely Kevin we'll move on to shout outs here um, we usually sort of give shout outs to the listeners and things like that or anybody um, who's been tweeting at us a lot this week but for whenever we've had the indie developers like yourselves on um, we give it up to yourselves for either self-promotion or any other companies or games that you want to highlight so take it away oh boy uh, put me on the spot well uh, as a shout out uh, I definitely want to say a big thank you to the team who has been working effort uh, working effortlessly working tirelessly um, on the 
on Mona Lisa for the past, oh, geez, we're looking at uh, over a year in development at this point. Um, so, yeah, and my coders, uh, Noel and Dave, uh, my artist, Ruby. Um, I've got my my wife, who's been doing project management and community management, Amy. Um, there's Tim, uh, who's been on uh, sort of uh, production management and uh, and finance and and all the spreadsheets and things that I don't like dealing with um, and <laughs> Benjamin has done some animation for me and uh, and my sound and music guys Stafford and John uh, so those are the uh, that's the team behind Mona Lisa um, and uh, yeah thanks for all your hard work so far uh, and we're we're getting close it's feeling like something's actually coming out of this thing and uh, it's gonna be pretty great um when are you hoping them to launch it Oh, everybody asked me that. I know, I know. It's always that you know, sixty-four thousand dollar question. When will it be launched? Yeah, we okay. We're basically we're working towards soft launch uh, at the moment. Um, we're probably looking at another couple of months before that goes out to a small community somewhere uh, to see how this all goes together. I'm I'm quite happy to uh, fire you guys over a build uh, and talk it up. Maybe do some. Uh, it, it's perfect for YouTube. It's a very visual, uh, visually ridiculous game. Um, <laughs> So there's that. And uh, yes, so in terms of the final launch, I can't give any dates on that yet because right mm-hmm. now we're at that crucial point of we've got something. Uh, how much bigger can it get and uh, how many opportunities are out there to, uh, to make the thing work? So um, when we know more, we'll be surely shouting about it then. Kevin, thank you very much for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure. We, it's, it's been actually wonderful just talking to you and uh, just hearing again, um, hearing from people who are actually making games and hearing mm. from, you know, um, people who aren't just us, you know, sitting playing the games, um, actually hearing it from a, a development standpoint and even just all the business and everything that goes into it uh-huh. um, is really, really fascinating. So it is. Oh, great. I'm glad I could uh, talk to you. <laughs> I'm glad you were happy to listen. Let's, uh, let's put it that way. Uh, no, no, thanks for having me on the show. This is great. More than happy. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much, Ali, as well, um, for coming on. Um, as always, it's a pleasure doing the podcast with you. <laughs> as, as always. Uh, as I have said to everybody, <laughs> it's always a pleasure doing <laughs> a podcast with you all. Uh, so thank you very much for listening, everybody, as well. And uh, good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.